Hello and welcome to the Sound of History Podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika. And this is a music history podcast. And Ajax is... In a bag! <laughs> He's in a bag! This is a podcast where I am trying to teach Mika the whole story of American music history. And I pay varying amounts of attention and I'm varying levels of tipsy. Tonight happens to be more of the tipsy. <laughs> okay. Just First of disclaimer. all... Happy Thanksgiving. This is probably going up on Thanksgiving. Oh, it is? Well, we put them up on Thursday mornings, and the next Thursday morning is Thanksgiving. Be thankful for your people, but also realize that the history of Thanksgiving is not what we originally thought that it was. Okay. We just need to be aware, man. Okay. Follow us on social media, twitter.com slash soundofhistory underscore... Why would you follow us? We don't don't say anything. I posted the episode announcement last (gasps) time. Wait, 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 wait. I was supposed to post the cat tree. Yeah, you never did that. Well, that's because I forgot that you posted it because I was at work. Also, give us like a review and stuff and a rating on iTunes. Why do you ask them for that? Because it helps us out. Why do you think that it will be good? I, I mean, it doesn't have to be. Any rating will probably help us out visibly. Are you ready for your time no let's do it anyway okay mika's the host now mika is the host now that was cool <laughs> a little jazz on that yeah yeah i'm I, i'm jazzy oh 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 let's pretend i didn't <laughs> Would you do your segment? <laughs> We've been recording for like five and a half minutes, and there's probably less than a minute <laughs> of this episode Not right now. Not if you include this. <laughs> okay. Hey, friends. Hey, friends. Hey. So we... <laughs> Stop laughing at me. Hey. <laughs> so, hey. What's up? We live in Nashville, right? We've said this. That's not, you're not going to find us and murder us. Why would you do that? We live in Nashville. <laughs> if you also sometimes live in Nashville or visit Nashville, go to Ernest Bar and Hideaway because they have such good food. That is true. It's our favorite meal. The Korean fried chicken, baby. I think it's just KFC now, right? No, it's Korean fried chicken. They, oh, they changed they, it back? They changed it back to say Korean fried chicken, but it is also KFC. They got sued by KFC? KFC can suck Ernest Hemingway's butt. <laughs> that may be a sentence that has never been said in the history of the English language. <laughs> what can I say? I'm an original <laughs> bitch. <laughs> Huh, what else do I like? Did I talk about the tea rose candle yet? I don't know. You've talked about a lot of candles. I, I love it. It's so good. It's Bath and Body Works. It's basic. It smells like a rose. It's lovely. Hmm. What else can I plug? I don't know. Cursing. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to because I know that you try to make this available to everyone listening and i know some of my friends listen with their babies (laughs) hello out there cool babies (laughs) i will not curse at you we can't steal other people's podcast stuff i didn't mean to (laughs) 
It's also like, I don't even know what I'm saying. You knew what you were doing. No, I swerved. <laughs> I swerved. I'm sorry, McElroy brothers. It's just like in my brain. Isn't that a compliment? Probably. Yeah, I'm just okay. Anyway, anything I else? I like I like curse words. They make me feel like I'm a rebel, even though I never got to have a rebel phase. <laughs> okay. We gotta keep. We can't get the explicit tag. I know that's why I'm not and cursing when I'm plugging cursing. And we also now iTunes describes us as a monthly podcast. So that's how infrequently we've been posting recently. We what? have been downgraded. No. We talk about things more than monthly. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe they just don't have because we're they don't have a, a tri-weekly s- setting. Tri- I, I think at most we are like twice a month. Yeah. Bi-weekly I, is a very normal podcast I don't, schedule. I don't think they ha- they might not have a list for that. I don't know. But we are now monthly So if you don't post iTunes. weekly, you post monthly? I, can't, I don't know. I don't know how it works. Listen, iTunes. We do this out of boredom. <laughs> we have jobs. Leave us alone. Don't your, shame us. Your mic has rebelled against <laughs> your segment. <laughs> well... Turns out I have more to say. Oh, no. My cat likes to garden green onions. <laughs> it's a statement. It is true. Tell him. It's true. We have a picture of her with her last green onion stalk. Last she time. destroys most of them and then tends <laughs> to one of them. She gets rid of all of them that will not pass her test. And then she grows the last one to a big boy. She was chewing on them earlier. That means that I cannot cook with them. Hmm. All right. Mika no longer the host now? No, Mika's the host. It's 10 minutes. (laughs) Well, four minutes of that is me tweeting. (laughs) So. Okay. Mika no longer the host now? Mika likes mood ring from Bearded Iris. Okay. That's going to mean nothing to most of the people out there. Hmm. Bearded Iris is, like, out there available for people to get. Probably, like, in the south in Tennessee. I don't think it has much more reach than that. Does it really not? I don't think so. All of my all of my plugs are local plugs. Come to Nashville. Don't be a local that we dislike. Be a... Tourist that we dislike. Yep. Be a local. But you don't have to stay. Just, like, act like not a tourist. But okay. if you're a tourist having fun, I guess that you deserve that. No matter how much I dislike you when I'm trying to get home from work. Okay. Is it? I'm going to cut off your segment now. Why? <laughs> this is the best. Mika, no longer the host no, now. No, people like when I talk, no, right? No, just make your own podcast. Validate me. People <laughs> like when I talk, right? Yes, but we don't want to overdo it. You want to save some stuff for next time. I leave nothing to the imagination. <laughs> you can be the host. Okay. Mika's no longer the host now. So, do you have any idea what we talked about last time? What do you think? I think you don't have a lot of ideas about a lot right now. I have, listen, I have a (laughs) lot of thoughts. Some of it is my friend that texts me. We talked about... Hold on. Nope. Mm -mm. Okay. Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. We talked about 70s 
Nope. Vibey. Yes, we did. Nope. We, we definitely are in did. the sixties. That's the point of it time we're at. It got to the seventies. It got to the seventies. It did. But and we were vibey. Okay. We were vibey, and they did vibe funk. Funk. There you go. <laughs> yes, we talked about funk last time. What do you like? Your what is what is your general impression of funk at this point? Um, you told me that people would like talk, but then I feel like most of the time they didn't just talk, which means that I liked it more than I thought that I would. It was yeah. The one of the characteristics of funk is like spoken word or like more aggressive yelling type of vocals. Yeah. I don't feel that that was delivered and I'm okay with that. Okay. It was fun. It was experimental. It was vibey. All right. People were weird. It was good. Do you remember the name of the guys that people consider to be like the founder? Absolutely of not. Funk music. It's who we're talking about today. It's Tupac. James Brown. It's not Tupac. <laughs> It's a little bit earlier than Tupac by like 30 years. We're talking about James Brown. Do you know anything about James Brown? I'm assuming you don't. He got sampled a lot in hip hop. Yeah. He's extremely influential in a lot of different genres, notably like soul and funk and R&B and rap. And uh, he's considered the godfather of soul and the hardest working man in show business. Wow. Um, who decided that? I don't know. Some magazine. They decide things. I don't know. Hmm. James Brown was born in Barnwell, South Carolina on May 3rd, 1933. His mother was 16 and his dad was 21. They lived in a small wooden shack where James was born. Wow. His childhood was pretty rough, as you might expect, just from that opening setup. They lived in poverty, and his parents had a contentious and abusive marriage. Mm. Eventually, his mother would leave the family and go to New York. Good for her. James' father, looking for work, moved them to Augusta, Georgia, when James was four. I know where that is. Nice. They lived at one of James' aunt's brothels. As one does. Yeah. So his mom left the family, but as I feel like it's a little bit atypical, he stayed with the dad. Like she didn't take him when she left. James' family struggled so much with money. After all, it was the Great Depression and they lived in the segregated South that James was one time sent home from school for, quote, insufficient clothes. He never forgot that experience and it probably played a part in how lavishly he dressed as an adult. That's pretty lame feel like many women were sent home for insufficient clothes. Yeah, but I think this was different. I think this was like he didn't have shoes or something like that. Yep, you're right. I shouldn't draw connections. <laughs> In order to get by, James spent a lot of time on his own, hustling on the streets. He did whatever odd jobs he could find, working for literal pennies. He shined shoes, danced at the local Air Force base, picked cotton, and washed cars. James later said about his childhood, quote, I started shining shoes at three cents, then went up to five cents, then six cents. I never did get up to a dime. I was nine years old before I got a pair of underwear from a real store. All my clothes were made from sacks and things like that. Whoa. But I knew I had to make it. I had the determination to go on, and my determination was to be somebody. End quote. Wow. So, yeah, he was like real poverty, real, real rough in it out there. 
As a kid, he started to learn some instruments from the neighbors. He learned to play the harmonica, guitar, and piano. He also started to sing in local talent shows, even winning one in 1944. So he would have been 11 at that point. Mm. He also learned more about singing from gospel music in church and tent revivals. But at this time, he focused more on a career in boxing or baseball than music. Just kind of a hobby for him at this point. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about little James? Little childhood James? I feel like I should give children underwear. <laughs> don't know that that's the takeaway I want. I don't know that you should just go around handing out underwear to children on the streets. Well, of course not. Through the appropriate channels. <laughs> okay. It's an interesting takeaway from James Brown's life, but okay. What else am I supposed to take away? <laughs> he wore sacks as underwear, and I feel like that is not. I don't know. All right. Well. Like, that's not an abnormal... I just... I don't know, man. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna... I'm just gonna donate some underwear, maybe. Okay. Some of yours? No! (laughs) (laughs) By the age of 16, his hard life finally caught up to him, and he was imprisoned for car theft. He was sentenced to 8 to 16 years, but he got out after 3. In jail, he formed a gospel group and met in... met an aspiring R&B singer named Bobby Bird. Cool. The two would become a powerful musical partnership that lasted for years. For the first couple of years after prison, James focused all of his attention on playing semi-professional baseball and boxing. In 1954, his friend Bird convinced James to join his gospel group, which was called the Gospel Starlighters. You tracking? I'm tracking. Okay, we got we got Bird and the Gospel Starlighters. Uh-huh. Okay. With his powerful vocals and stage antics, James quickly started to dominate the group and became the lead. The group was an a cappella R&B group that took a lot of influence from the doo-wop groups coming from Baltimore and Detroit. That's fun. Yep. They changed their name and their lineup a few times, but eventually settled on the name The Flames. I like it. Yeah, I think they're at this point they were kind of moving away from gospel mm. and doing more secular devil music. Oh no. The devil <laughs> Huh no. They got themselves a manager who started to book them at clubs and colleges across Georgia and South Carolina. That is inappropriate. Yep. By nineteen fifty five they say they settled in Macon, Georgia and I know where that one is too. Do you? Yeah. Where? Georgia. <laughs> We're at in Georgia. Georgia. (laughs) Okay. We've been there. All right. So they settled in Macon. They also renamed themselves the Famous Flames. Even though they are not famous at this point. It's okay. They're just like, what's it called when you like that bullshit thing where you just (laughs) believe that something's going to happen? It's called manifestation. And you can't just (laughs) (laughs) poo-poo all over it. They got the attention of Little Richard while they were in Macon, and Little Richard ended up really liking their sound and got them connected with his manager. That's awesome. His manager told them to record a demo at a local radio station, which they did. They recorded an original composition called Please, Please, Please. Who did Please, Please Me and it was inappropriate? I don't know. Someone Uh, did Please, Please Me. That's the Beatles, right? 
Isn't that? That sounds right. I thought it was like British. He was like, ooh, whoa. How did this? Because they didn't say what it was called on the show. Oh, I don't I don't remember that. You're probably right. I remember something <laughs> that you don't remember? I mean, I know they had to censor one of the Rolling Stones songs, but it wasn't that one. It wasn't? No, because it was on the Ed Sullivan show, and they had to, like, he had to mumble the chorus. Who, who is it Beatles? The Beatles did Please Please Me. Ah, okay. Okay, well, so they wrote an original composition, and they recorded it at this radio station. It's called Please Please Please. James wrote the song. Apparently, Little Richard once wrote the words, please, 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 on a napkin, and James carried that napkin around with him, determined to make a song out of it. Creepy. Yeah. I don't like, <laughs> First of all, who's just writing the same word three times who's on a writing, napkin? Who's writing, please, 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 on a napkin? Yeah, like was what? he okay? <laughs> like, what's he? I feel like he was going through a crisis. If that's like the start of a song, it was like the lamest, like, please, please. That's all I got. <laughs> what is he? What? I, this whole story Crisis. doesn't make sense. Crisis. No, 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 no. I get it. Okay. Crisis. Well, James was, Brown it carried him, it around. Right? It was Little Richard. What? Didn't you just say it was Little Richard? Yeah, Little Richard it? wrote it on a napkin. Yeah. A g- Crisis. <laughs> I remember that man. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah he was true. having a mental breakdown. Maybe. And... So James Brown carried around this napkin with him, and he was determined to make a song out of it. Creepy. This recording they did sold pretty slowly at first, but eventually peaked at number six on the R&B charts, selling between one and three million copies. Wing. Here is Please, Please, Please. I think it's a performance. I love that you do that for me. I feel like this is going to be like a, a, a breakdown. I don't know what he said except for. See, that's the downside of doing performances. You can't really. There are worse recordings. None of the band's immediate singles achieved much success, and the original Flames band broke up in 1957 when their new manager renamed the band James Brown and the Famous Flames. The Flames did not appreciate that. I really feel like managers should just stop. (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, they weren't seeing a lot of success, and after that, they had a lot of success, so maybe the manager was right. Despite not having a follow-up hit, the band hit the road, touring all over the Southeast, opening for legendary musicians like Ray Charles and B.B. King. Uh, that's that's good. That's yeah. success right there. Yeah, it's a good place to be. You play your one song, <laughs> you open for... Ray Charles. Ray Charles, and life is good. Yeah. By 1958... James was in danger of losing his record deal and a little desperate to get something going. To spark his creative juices, he moved to New York and started working with another group of musicians who he also called the Flames. 
I, I don't know why. He's just calling everyone who works with him the Flames. It's because he's lacking creativity in the That's naming true. department. Also, the lyrics were, please, 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 please me. I feel like that <laughs> is copyright infringement. Eh, as long as it's not substantially similar, then you're fine. It is horny, by the way. I mean, I'm not surprised. So, with this new group of musicians, also called The Flames, he recorded a song called Try Me. Try Me was more of a ballad. It followed nine successive singles that failed to chart. For it, James was working with former members of Little Richard's vocal group. James said that a patron at a Florida nightclub had given him a song, which he took to a guitar player who created the melody for it. Despite that input from other people, James took sole writing credit for the song. That's rude. Try Me ended up hitting number one. Not eh. That's rude. (laughs) Yeah. Someone else wrote the melody. And the words. Oh my god! Yes, a patron at a Florida nightclub gave him the words. And then he took it to a guitar player who helped him write the melody. Oh my god. So Try Me ended up hitting number one on the R&B charts, which was his first ever number one song. It wasn't his. Here is Try Me. Try me, I don't want to deal. I don't want to deal. Is the real answer. I feel like a lot of today's pop songs are like lyrically more in depth than that. Like I feel like that's kind of they're simple. They're supposed to be their pop songs. All right, that song. I'm mad at him. Okay, let's see if let's see if we can turn you back around on James Brown. Maybe, maybe not. I'm stubborn. That song would be the start of 17 number one songs. That song kick-started his career, and he soon followed it up with a string of hits. Shortly after this song, he recruited his former band again and reunited with Bobby Bird. So he's back with the old famous Flames. He needs other people. Yeah. Which is a lesson that we can all learn from. <laughs> yeah. By 1960, James was fronting multiple efforts in the studio. He was working with the Flames as well as another band he started called the James Brown Orchestra which was sometimes billed as Nat Kendrick and the Swans because of, like, label issues. What? I don't know. I guess, like... Who's Nat Kendrick? I think, I guess it's just his alias. I don't know. Just a random name he came up with. It's a great name. As a result of his success, his label switched him to the parent company, which, according to James, meant you got more support. Okay. Yeah. He's not on a little baby label anymore. He's big time. Okay. (laughs) The Flames released an album called Think that started to show some signs of where James' style was headed. In 
Here's one song from that album called I'll Go Crazy. Who wrote it? I don't know. I mean, he's probably on the songwriting credit. Oh, I bet he is. This isn't supposed to be a Bash James Brown episode. Well, then he shouldn't do stuff that's Bash-worthy. This is a... This is a... This is a... Are you starting to see the, the funk elements creeping in? It's moving away from straight doo That repeated melody that we talked about was funk. starting to see some signs of what funk would be. During this period, James started to play five or six nights a week, which earned him the title of the hardest working man in show business. Oh my goodness, so many other people <laughs> play that many. <sighs> five or six, six nights a week is hard. It's very difficult, but he is not the only person doing it. I can tell you that. Well, he's not doing it anymore. Which, are, yeah, okay, where is it? He was, he was known as a top performer, dancer, and soulful singer whose passionate performances left the crowds mesmerized. That is impressive. He continued to release hit songs and albums. He eventually convinced his label to release a live album recorded at his performance at the Apollo Theater in 1963. Apollo is in... New York. That's what I thought. I'm pretty sure. It's like the big one in Harlem, I think. Maybe. I don't know things. <laughs> it sounded familiar, though. Because I think it was like the like it was like the major theater in Harlem that like everyone wanted. Yeah, Harlem Performance Hall. That was like if cool, you cool. played the Apollo, you had you were hip. Like Carnegie Hall was for like the super like Frank Sinatra parents music. Apollo was for like the cool people. All right. So it's I also think it's is that where no. I was I was wondering if that was. John Mulaney played Radio City Music Hall, not yeah. Apollo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because he's for your parents. Yes. Okay, so <laughs> he's playing the Apollo. He released a live album recorded at his performance at the Apollo. His label thought no one would buy the live album, but they were wrong. Is this one of the first times that they did? No, people have been doing live doing albums. Like, but like from performances? I think so, yeah. Oh. People have been doing it for a bit. The album instantly shot to number two in the album charts and stayed in the charts for 14 weeks. He also scored his first pop hit in 1963 with his cover of Prisoner of Love. He started his own record label called Try Me Records. And <laughs> <laughs> started, oh, you're not going to like this part. What? Started a two-year relationship with a 17-year-old. Oh, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to like that. Let's get an age count. How old is he? Uh, this was 63. He's 30. Oh, gross. Yep. She oh, no. ended their professional and personal relationship Hell yeah. due to his abusive behavior. Oh, yes, lady. James Brown was a relentless performer and demanded his bands keep up, which is kind of a theme in this podcast. Like, I don't hey. know if you've noticed that. Well, what, oh, what? Deme- his band's being being entitled 
No, like with not with James Brown, with this entire right, podcast. Right, with the podcast. Is all the male performers being entitled? Well, yes, but that's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying <laughs> them being very perfectionist and yeah, demanding that like like yeah. even we saw that with like john philip sousa where it's like if you played a wrong note they're gonna know and they're gonna like demand you be perfect and great yeah i can relate yeah. but also like i don't like this man <laughs> okay i feel like you've told me enough like he's <laughs> talented full fully believe that he's talented and he also came from like who we yeah but like come on man come yeah. on he was known to find musicians who missed a note, and he often demanded they improvise during the performances by calling them out in front of everyone. Just like in the middle of a show. Okay, just but like, did hey, he do turn. that to like better them or to embarrass them? Because I'm guessing to embarrass them. I would guess neither. I would guess it was just he in the moment felt like, I think we need a guitar solo here, and he would just call him out. Like, I don't think he was intentionally trying to get them to fail because he was such a perfectionist. He would want the show to be perfect. You said that he was calling out the people that didn't do a good note. No, that th- that was separate. He would oh. find musicians who missed a note, and then he would demand his musicians improvise during performances. Two s- completely separate sentences. Yes. Well, it's the same sentence, but thoughts. Separate thoughts. Separate thoughts. One band member stated that you had to think quick to keep up with him. See, I have no problem with that. Yeah, that's that's fine. fine. That's great. That's creative. That's I, I have no problem with high standards. I hold myself to high standards. Yep. Don't embarrass people. <laughs> Pur- purposefully. That's better than what Al Jolson was doing back in the day. So I don't remember what he was doing, and I don't think I want to. Okay. In 1965, he hit crossover success when he released Papa's Got a Brand New Bag. Oh, and we we listened to it? Yes. That was his first ever top 10 pop hit. He followed that up with I Got You, another top 10 hit, and a third top 10 in a row with It's a Man's 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 World. Huh. Yeah. I don't know that song, so I don't know what it's about. I would be interested to hear his take as a man. (laughs) Self-aware or... I don't know. But that string of songs in a row cemented him as a top performer, especially with the R&B crowds. Yeah, he's really good. Papa's Got a Brand New Bag is considered by many to be the start of funk music. Hmm. It utilizes a few things that James was already kind of doing on other songs, but it focused more heavily on them in this one. It features a strong horn section backdrop and the rhythm guitar playing a repeated riff for a hook. Honestly, I love that. Yeah. The singer and the musicians place emphasis on the first beat of each measure. The original recording was edited and sped up before its release, which Hmm. increased the tempo and upped the pitch. Hmm. Here is Papa's Got a Brand New Bag. I think we've already listened to it, but we'll listen to it again. They sped it up so it's higher? Yeah, they upped the tempo a bit. Like, you can kind of tell his voice is a bit higher than what we've been hearing. From 1967, 
until 1970 might be considered the peak of his career. By this time, people started to define his new style he was playing as funk. And in 1967, he released what some consider to be the actual first funk song. It's called Cold Sweat. It was his first song to contain a drum break, and one of the first to contain a harmony that was only a single chord. Like what? Like. Well, we're going to play it, so we'll see if you... Okay. It was developed from an earlier R&B song. Any way you look at it, it's a watershed moment in the history of funk music. What's that mean? Like a, It's a big moment. Why is that the phrase? I don't know, but it is. You used it. Don't you know what the phrase is? No, there's a lot of phrases I use that I don't know where it come, where they come from. Weird phrase. Here's Cold Sweat. There is a woman dancing up there. Good for her. the harmony in the horns is that yeah i think it's that little like thing that's not a harmony i don't know that's what i thought it was i don't know because that's one chord right okay okay during this time his vocals stopped relying on pitch and melody and instead became something of a rhythmic declaration not quite sung not quite spoken somewhere in between Okay. This technique became a massive influence on rap and hip-hop in the coming decades. He also started to push forward and popularize the New Orleans style of danceable riffs stripped down to their basic elements and repeated over and over. Mm. Also in the mid-60s, he started to focus a lot on social activism. He released a few songs specifically speaking to the African-American community. Some of them stressed the importance of education, Some of them were protest anthems, like Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. He was a strong advocate for MLK's nonviolent form of protest. Mm. In 1968, after Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, riots broke out across the country. James broadcasted a concert live from Boston in an effort to stop rioting there. Wow. It largely worked. Wow. Most people in Boston stayed home to watch the performance instead of... (laughs) <laughs> joining in on the riots dude like it's just <laughs> hell yeah yeah might as well, well try it no. <laughs> because i think it's important to who he is i'm going to play say it loud i'm black and i'm proud that's awesome say it loud We've been busy. 
It was also during involved in like activism. Yeah. Using his platform that way. That's good. It was also during the late sixties that he started to be called Soul Brother Number One. (laughs) Since he lost out on the title King of Soul to Solomon Burke during a gig. (laughs) I guess they (laughs) they performed for it and they gave it to the other guy. I want to hear about the other guy. (laughs) Well, too bad. But in the nineteen seventies he became known as the godfather of soul. So I don't know. I guess, I guess he won up why. a little bit. In the early in early 1970, most of his road band walked out on him due to money disputes. Bobby Bird chose to stay with the band, and they recruited other members who would become the JBs, which was the name of his new backing band. This is James Brown and the J James Brown and the JBs. Huh. <laughs> He started to tour a bit out of the U.S. because he got into some trouble here when he vocally supported Richard Nixon's re-election effort over the Democratic candidate. So that got him in hot water with his fan base. This led to a boycott of his music in the African-American communities, and his sales started to lull. Hmm. He didn't make the charts a single time in 1973. Hmm. He also got into trouble when the IRS claimed he failed to pay over $4 million in taxes. Which is excessive. Yeah, but I mean, like, let's be real. Why is the IRS targeting him? Yeah, that's also fair. Because uh, I'm sure that there are other people who paid yeah. or who didn't pay. Yeah, I'm also sure he did not pay taxes, though. But <laughs> also, there's probably other people who did I'm not as well. I'm sure that there are so many other people that did not. <laughs> He returned to the number one spot on the charts in 1974 and followed that up with two more number ones, but they would prove to be his last. He continued to have a few top ten hits on the R&B charts, but because of the rise of disco, his popularity suffered quite a bit. He continued to perform through the end of the 70s and early 80s, but struggled to find much commercial success. He performed in a few movies, like The Blues Brothers, that got him a bit more attention for a little while and one of his songs that featured in Rocky IV called Living in America in 1985 earned him his biggest hit in decades. Despite all that, he was still on the decline. Living in America earned him a Grammy Award and a new recording contract. He also continued to be a superstar in Africa where his shows routinely drew massive crowds. Here is Living in America. I'd be kind of surprised if you haven't heard this one. I have. Oh, okay. Normally you mention <laughs> say a song to you. I do this. I love the fireworks. I don't love the blue suit. I also don't love the fireworks. <laughs> it's this man. This is like 80s playing. It's a little after this one. I love his hair. Oh, 
I've never seen any of these guns. I think I've seen the first like two. Alright, that's living in America. I can't believe you didn't think I knew that. I don't I never know what you know at this point. For most of his career, James had a strict no drug or alcohol policy. He would fire any band members that he suspected of taking drugs. But by the mid-80s, it was widely alleged that James was taking drugs, with one band member saying his regular use of PCP started before 1982. Mm -hmm. He took PCP with his third wife, and it sometimes made him violent. And he was arrested several times for domestic violence. In early 1988, James faced four separate charges related to drug and gun possession. In September of 1988, he led police on a high-speed chase across two states and was eventually arrested and sentenced to six years, but he was released in 1991. So, after like three. Low-key impressive. Yeah. (laughs) But then, in the early 90s, he was convicted of spousal abuse two more times. Not impressive. Bad. Saw it coming. Somehow, he blamed the incidents on his wife's addiction to drugs. What? I, fe- I, I think guess he has a problem with like drugs because yes. like I don't I don't have a problem with him using drugs. I have a problem with him using drugs and having a problem with other people using drugs. Yeah, I have a problem with that. Yeah, I th- I'm wondering if like because like I don't know how he can blame him abusing her on her taking drugs. Unless it's like she lied because she was on drugs. That's the only thing I can think his like story was. Assholes will find a way. Abusive people will gaslight. Yeah. I just, I like, I'm just struggling to see how he could have gotten away with that. (laughs) Did he get away with that? No, he was convicted. Okay. Well, (laughs) it didn't work. (laughs) That wife later passed away a few years after that because of like an accident during cosmetic surgery. I didn't need to know that. Oh, okay, sorry. (laughs) He emerged from prison and rehab and started a bit of a comeback in the late 90s and early 2000s. He released an album called I'm Back and started touring again. But then in 1998, he led the police on another car chase (laughs) and was sent back to a 90-day rehab program. Oh, my God. In November of 2006, he performed for the UK Music Hall of Fame. The next month, he passed away after a week-long battle with pneumonia. Mm. He was 73 years old. However, a 2019 investigation by CNN led to the accusation that he had been murdered. What? I don't know. I I don't have anything else in the script, and I don't remember researching that. What? I I can't say anything more about that. Why don't you remember? (laughs) I don't know. It might have just been like a little tidbit I found and threw in there and just didn't really. I'm going to Google James to. Brown murdered. In well, a career. Fell off. Oh, in a career that lasted over 50 years, James Brown's impact was astronomical. He was massively influential in, de- in the development of soul, funk and hip hop. He influenced everyone from Mick Jagger to Michael Jackson to Jay-Z. He recorded 17 singles that reached number one on the R&B charts. He also holds the record for the most singles on the pop chart that did not reach number one. He was one of the first ten inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He was also in the R&B Hall of Fame twice, once was an artist, once as an artist, and then a few years later as a songwriter. And he's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. He won a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. 
He is also the most sampled artist of all time. James Brown was also completely aware of his cultural impact. He wrote in his memoir, quote, Others may have followed in my wake, but I was the one who turned racist minstrelsy into black soul. And by doing so, I became a cultural force. So he was aware of his impact. And that's James Brown. Take it, you are not a fan. You know, people are good and people are bad all together wrapped up. Yeah, that's true. As Nathaniel Hawthorne said, everything is marble and mud. Hmm. All right. Anything else you want to say about James Brown before we get out of here? Oh, I'm looking into why people think that he was murdered. So far, it's just that he changed so fast. And I'm like, I mean, maybe someone murdered him yeah, I mean, in that, the hospital, but also, like, that happens. That can also just depend on your definition of murdered. Like, was, was it an accident? Well, was Michael Jackson murdered by the doctor who kept giving him all of the drug prescriptions that he took that eventually he overdosed on? That kind of stuff. Like, would you call that murder? Like, I don't know. Like, it just kind of depends. Mm. All right. Well, next week, I think we have a fun one. I think it's Aretha. Talk about Aretha Franklin, and then we get into some stuff you're not going to enjoy as much. What? It's like psychedelic rock and stuff. Yeah, it's weird, and it makes me feel weird. We talk about psychedelic rock, and then we talk about metal. I can get on board with metal. <laughs> I have some it's, anger sometimes. It's like early metal, so it's like Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, that kind of stuff. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. All right, anything about James Brown before we sign off, or anything at all? Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Coffee. Coffee.